Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. As we near the games, I get the chance to speak to Mike Malloy from M2 Performance Nutrition about how he prepares athletes for the biggest competition of their lives and what you should be checking for when you are on the lookout for a nutrition coach. As always, there's a lot to say, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Europe is Coming podcast, taking you inside the minds of Europe's best CrossFit athletes and the people behind them. Welcome Mike Malloy from M2 Performance Nutrition to the Europe is Coming podcast. Great to have you on. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Where are you today? Where am I speaking to you from? Yeah, so uh, I currently live uh, in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area, so east coast of the United States. Yeah. So we've got a six-hour time difference between us, <laughs> uh, yeah. which, yep. which, which, which um, torments my maths a bit because I have a I get very kind of messed up with the time zones. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Trust me, I'm used to it with uh, all the global athletes that I'm lucky enough to work with, but. Uh, it's never, it never makes it easier trying to figure out, okay, when, when, what time is it there for them there? Yeah, so, exactly. I get it, don't worry. I think there should be a much better app available than there is. <laughs> anyway, that's a business idea for anybody listening. Um, there you go. So, Mike, tell me a bit about yourself. Who are you? Um, uh, where did you come from? What are you qualified to do? Yeah, so um, I am the owner and founder of MT Performance, Performance Nutrition, as you mentioned at the outstart of the chat. Um, I have a sort of long history within the education as it relates to the human body, uh, metabolism, you know, biochemistry, molecular biology. I have a PhD in molecular biology. And uh, I've been working with athletes now uh, for about the last decade or so, um, really helping them to focus their nutritional and lifestyle efforts on improving their athletic performance. Uh, the vast majority of those athletes are within the CrossFit space, um, but we have some outside as well. So that's the 60-second elevator pitch, so to speak. Why nutrition? Why did you get into nutrition? Yeah, so to make a really long story short, I started CrossFit myself in 2007 and a couple of years later decided that I wanted to sort of be competitive in the sport. And so I went to regionals in 2009 to be very clear, a very not impressive feat. All you had to do was sign up <laughs> uh, for, I think I finished like top 25 or something. Well like done. And, yeah. And, um, same thing next year. I actually had to qualify for that one, which I did. And then I was, you know, at the time sort of following the nutritional advice, you know, either from CrossFit or sort of more of a, even a paleo style approach, which unintentionally ends up being rather low carbohydrate. And, um, I remember doing this one workout. It was, I'll never forget it. It was like five rounds of five power cleans at 185 pounds, uh, 15 GHG sit-ups, 15 strict handstand push-ups. Hmm. And I finished it and I was just destroyed, like absolutely annihilated. I was lying on the ground. It took me like 20 minutes to get my, my bearings and everything else. And I thought to myself, like, this, this is not right. Something about this is not how it's supposed to go. And so at the same time, I was actually in school, you know, studying at that point, molecular biology, biochemistry. And I said, okay, I've got this ability to research things, you know, not related to nutrition, but let's apply that skill to the world of nutrition and see if there's anything I can do to kind of um, help my performance. And very, very quickly, what I realized is that if you start to Google or research around um, high intensity training, so anything that's sort of above 65% of a person's VO2 max, um, that those efforts are fueled exclusively 
by glucose or what we consider nutritionally carbohydrates. And at the time I was probably taking in like less than hundred grams of carbs per day, probably over, you know, 150 to 200 grams of fat, um, and tons of protein, but really I was missing this, this carbohydrate from my diet. And so I said, okay, well, I got nothing to lose. I'm a pretty mediocre athlete. Like, let's just try eating tons of carbs and see what happens. And sure enough, my performance skyrocketed. Um, I started beating people that I really had no business beating. Uh, and the, the bad joke that I like to make is that people started asking me, like, are you on steroids? And I say, no, I'm on carbohydrates. Um, and so, you know, the next question that I would always ask is, okay, can you help me with my nutrition? So, yeah, of course, you know. Um, and so back then I was doing everything basically for free, you know, small handfuls of people. Um, but I started to get uh, at least somewhat of a reputation within the, the Northeast, like the New England area, um, sort of like the Boston range, uh, for, for knowing at least a few things about nutrition. And um, I was going to athlete camps and giving half an hour, hour-long lectures about, hey, you guys need to be eating carbs and things like that. Um, really preaching to people that had not been thinking about carbohydrates at all. And one of them uh, was at a place called CrossFit Free. It's in uh, Salem, New Hampshire. And I gave my talk. And afterwards, this young woman walks up to me and she says, hey, you know, um, I really want to compete within this sport. I'm okay. I got a huge gymnastics background, but I'm definitely not eating enough food. I'm definitely not eating enough carbs. And uh, I said, okay, yeah, I'd love to work with you. And that person's name is uh, Tasia Persevich. So now, you know, CrossFit Mayhem, two times champion, you know, superstar <laughs> athlete. And so as her star started to shine and, you know, she did really well, she finished like top three at like three or four major competitions, punched her first ticket to the CrossFit Games. Uh, people started asking her like, hey, what are you doing with your nutrition? So I'm working with Mike. And so that circle of athletes very slowly started to grow with people like Mackenzie Riley, who's a four-time CrossFit Games athlete. Um, Carly Fjord, Danny Horan, uh, Haley Adams. Um, and then, you know, it's just sort of like this roller coaster ride upwards where word of mouth um, started to take what was a very local thing and kind of turn it global uh, <laughs> faster than I could realize. So. It was, it's, it's a huge success because, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. in Miyoko and I know your name. You know, you're all over yeah. the place. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, the story about how things kind of went international is sort of a, a fun one. So um, so Haley uh, was training in North Carolina with a couple of uh, sisters named Brittany and Allison Weiss. You know, Brittany's now on CrossFit Invictus, and Allison's also another great athlete. And um, they had gone to Dubai to train uh, over, I think, at CrossFit Alioth, and were friends with a woman named uh, Mia Ackerlin, now Mia Heskett. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I met Mia through them, started working with her, her story, like her transformation with eating more food, more carbohydrates is insane. Like she leaned out all kinds of PRs, including like, what well, I think it's like a 235 pound snatch or something like that. She's strong. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget the day she first posted about me and M2 on Instagram. I was actually in Europe, ironically enough, I was in uh, Switzerland and, um, my phone just would not stop like pinging like, emails, you know, Instagram DMs, all kinds of stuff. And like very quickly, thanks to Mia, really, um, you know, and all the people that came before, uh, we were a global entity. You know, Mia had connections to Australia, obviously Sweden and all of that part of the world, uh, Dubai. And, you know, that's how the ball started rolling and eventually connecting me to people that you are closely connected with, like, you know, Gabby, Sola, most re very recently, uh, Jacqueline, et cetera. So, 
yeah, it's um, it was all word of mouth, like entirely. We did exactly zero advertising other than a really truly terrible job on social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 great to hear because I mean I, that's the best uh, marketing anyway is word of mouth, isn't it? Yeah, it's like people buy from or or choose to work with people that they trust. Um, so, yes, I agree. And I guess building trust with athletes is is something that can be difficult as well because they're they're very individual very independent creatures aren't they it must take yeah. a, a while to to make that trust and how do you work with an athlete how do you start yeah. with them trust is huge right so i mean it, honestly it's easier now having you know close to a decade of, of um experience and you know people like Haley, like mia um saying hey mike knows what he's doing um that helps the outset but it's still a process. You know, a lot of times you're asking someone to do something very different from what's gotten them to a certain level of success, right? So let's say you have an athlete that, um, you know, started working out and started doing their own nutritional thing, and maybe they weren't eating enough food, but hey, they got some physique changes and they progressed to a relatively decent spot within the sport. Um, and now I come along and I'm like, hey, like, listen, that's great, but what got you to point A is going to also limit you to never go to point B, C, D, etc. And so we need to change things. Now we need to take a new approach to this whole process because you're a different person at this point. Um, and so you kind of start that conversation off with like, well, what are your goals? Okay, here's what I've seen before. Here's where I think it's going to work for you. But we're going to go slowly, right? Because, you know, I, I like to think of nutrition as uh, it's simple, but it's never easy. So like I can look at a person and relatively quickly determine what they should be doing <laughs> to help them reach the goals that they want to reach. But getting them to do that is a completely different thing entirely. It's at least 50% or more, you know, psychology um, and just working with the person, like you're saying, to build that trust. So, you know, there's a lot, a, like a lot of back and forth communication. Um, our nutrition company really prides itself on that. So most companies, you know, you'll, I, I shouldn't say most, a lot of companies you might get like a weekly form to fill out, you know, what's your, what was your weight? How's your mood? Are you hungry? Mm. You know, how's your sleep? You fill that all out kind of back to your coach and you go back and forth via email. And um, it was actually due to my work with Mackenzie Riley that we went completely in a different dire direction on that, where we do text messaging or you know, WhatsApp for international uh, clients um, for all of our check-ins, like 98% of them are done, done that method. And it allows for, you know, a back and forth communication to um, really get to know a person on some level. And I, I'll be honest, like, yeah, a phone call, a video call is great, but there is something that if it's done right, the, the text-based aspect of it also allows for a level of truthfulness. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I ask, I say, hey, Vic, uh, how you doing today? Social acumen over the last, you know, a couple of decades has taught you to be like, good, right? Yeah. Even though you made that. But if you have that extra second to pause with its text message, you can think about how you're actually thinking. And there's a level of disconnect where I'm not seeing the person's, you know, face to face. So it's almost easier to be like, actually, you know, I'm having a really rough week, you know? And so for whatever reason, you know, that seemingly has worked well to create a, an honest dialogue for the most part, you know, back and forth with athletes that then creates that level of trust to, to get the buy-in when I say, Hey, you know, I know you've been eating 250 grams of carbohydrates, but you're training four hours a day. I want you eating 400 and we're going to take six weeks to get there, you know? Um, so when you start working with, with each individual athlete, the, the yeah. starting point is 
um, their goals or where they're at? Or yeah. What it- yeah. Great question. So everyone's nutrition, in my opinion, is unique. It's all we're all little snowflakes, you know. Uh, each one's slightly different from the previous. I'm definitely a snowflake. So- <laughs> <laughs> Very flaky. You too. You too. Um, but you know, realistically, we could have two. Like, let's say um, I'm going to use U.S. metrics, so I apologize to international viewers. We could have two five foot five, 145 pound females that train three hours a day and have similar jobs, and the nutritional approach, at least at the start, is going to be look very different. You know, one person might come to us never having paid any attention to the nutrition at all, right? They've just been free eating, you know, and kind of never thought about it. And we're going to do one thing with that person. The other person, maybe they've spent the last four or five years in sort of like a, a binge restrict cycle of food, you know, or they've just like massively been underfeeding themselves uh, for for years. Um, we're going to start those two different people at different places. Why? Because on some level, they're biologically different. You know, a couple of years of dieting can downregulate your metabolism by uh, upwards of 20%. But more, you know, more uh, the the more important reason why we would start is that person's relationship with food is probably going to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I might need to take that process a little bit slower instead of saying like, all right, we're going to jump right into eating 400 grams of carbohydrate. You know, maybe what we're going to do is go from 200 to 250 and we're going to sit there for two weeks and they'll go from 250 to 300. And all along the way I'm asking like, Hey, how are you feeling? How's this process going for you? Oh, you're even, even though you're eating more food, you feel hungrier. That's really interesting. In my experience, that means that, you know, your metabolism, I hate to use the term coming back on, but I say that a lot mm-hmm. to, to people that just to kind of use a, a terminology that they'll understand. Um, and, and, you know, we work through that process, you know, versus that other person who never paid to nutrition, attempt, paid attention to nutrition in their entire life. I can probably put them at the numbers that I want them to from the start. And it's more about like, okay, how do I get 150 grams of protein into my diet? Oh, well, okay, well, you know, we can use eggs, egg whites, you know, chicken breast, you know, all these things. It's just educating them about what's in their food as opposed to more so building trust and overcoming, you know, potentially a decade of, of a restriction mindset. The, the I mean, I, I think these days as well, it, it's, not, mm-hmm. it's not just, I was going to say mostly women, but I'm going to say that probably there's also men who are suffering from the same kind of mindset now because, oh, big time. because it, there's so much misunderstanding around nutrition and so much that, and so much that's so confusing about it. You know, you're telling these people to eat carbs and I, like, carbs are bad. Surely everybody yeah, knows yeah, yeah. that, you know, and it's, right. and you're kind of constantly having to blow up myths and you, you, I, yes. I'm, I'm assuming that you are, and your the people that work with you are, are pretty much fighting social media rumors all the time. Because- yeah, you, we are for sure. You know, it is myth, it's myth busting. And I think the most important thing is recognizing the demographic of people that you're talking to. Mm. Right. So obviously we, we've, you know, you and I, we, we live, in the CrossFit space, right? And so this is a, a group of people that are active and, you know, probably have been trying to make health healthy decisions for a long period of time, right? And so it's a different conversation versus somebody in the general population, especially in the United States, but I would imagine probably to an extent even in Europe now, yeah. of, you know, like, listen, like 90, you know, whatever. And it's a large proportion of people over here that are overweight or obese. And so that population probably does need to eat less carbohydrates, especially because they're coming in the form of, you know, candy and, you know, sugar sweetened beverages and all of that sort of thing. Um, 
But you tell a group of health conscious people that are already in that mindset of don't eat carbs. And next thing you know, like potatoes are being thrown out because <laughs> they're carbs, you know what I mean? Or fruit, like mm. I've seen people demonize fruit. Oh, it's got too much sugar in it. And, you know, at that point, like we've kind of lost, we've kind of lost sight of who we're really talking to. Um, especially if a person's going to the gym for an hour a day, five days a week, like there's zero reason to fear carbohydrates, especially if they're doing high intensity training, like CrossFit promotes, mm. um, you know, there's, there's no reason that we have to avoid sugar. Even some processed sugar is perfectly fine in moderation, you know? And I, I just think that we've, the, the, the messaging needs to be more nuanced and as coaches at M2, but I think, you know, outside of the company as well, that's what a lot of us are trying to relay the message around of. Like, know who you're talking to and get the messaging right for that person. I mean, it's it's um, certainly within the CrossFit space, more and more people know that carbs aren't bad. But you're still yeah, having, you're still having yeah. to explain that to your mum, you know, or, 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 or your, yeah, even or your brother. Though, like, <laughs> I mean, CrossFit posted on social media, like, within the last couple of maybe days, I think. You know, they, pit, they posted the fitness in 100 words, right? And right in there, Little Starch, no sugar. And they emphasized in the Instagram post the no sugar part. Oh. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not here to bash on CrossFit. I think what they're doing is amazing. But I do think that that's a missed opportunity, um, especially as the CrossFit world has changed so dramatically since fitness in 100 words has been created. Um, I also just come from the, from the point of view of, Whenever you tell someone they can never have something, they want it immediately, right? I'm like, you hey, you never have red wine. They're like, well, now I want to go get a glass immediately, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, you can never have sugar. It creates it. It puts on this pedestal. And what people end up doing is when they have it, they have insane amounts out of it because they want to get it out of their system. Yeah. First, if I can create a balance of, you know, 80% high quality diet, the micronutrient dense foods, we could take that other 20% and use it for things that are eat in small quantities or eat very rarely but we don't ever have to place a label of never or none on any food any food unless you know you're literally allergic to it (laughs) how many how many people are you working with at the moment um m2 has just under a thousand total clients Um, yeah we're still for you know compared to a lot of the other companies in the space we're still small beans but um we we love and appreciate literally every single one of those a thousand clients that we have uh, and considering where we started, uh, I, I will never take a single one of them for granted. You know, the reason I'm asking is because on your, uh, you say that you do uh, your social media badly, but I'm, I'm, I learn things from the, oh, no, I mean, today from... it's not so bad. I'm talking like five <laughs> years ago, but I was the one handling it. It was a disaster. Uh, okay. now it's not well, I, I sort of say it's quite in- informative. I enjoy reading <laughs> it because I think it's, uh, it's, it's important to stay up with the, most recent like, understanding and 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 also yeah. it's science based. It's not it's not um it's not a diet no. book or anything. It's actually trying to we're eating for performance. I guess it's it's nice right. to also look great. That comes as a a side effect of performance in some yeah, ways, doesn't I it? Mean, yeah, I think the hard part for some athletes is that you know um, people see the the people that are truly genetically best, right? So I think about it sort of like overlapping Venn diagrams where you can eat a certain amount of food to look aesthetically your best. And we'll say best in a traditional sense of like abdominal muscles, mm. and, you know, you know, lots of rippling abs and quads and all that stuff. And then you can eat a certain amount of food that is um, uh, appropriate for your maximum performance, right? Like the most athletically gifted you could be within this sport. 
And the people that are often featured in social media are the ones where that overlaps, right? Where the amount of food that they eat for performance also happens to the amount of food that they eat for maximal performance. This would be somebody like, you know, Tia or Mal, Gabby, you know, all of those are greater examples of people that um, they, they're, they're genetically blessed. There are people that have to eat, if they want to maximize their performance, more food that might be beneficial to them for their maximal aesthetic. Work. Okay. And it's really, really hard for those people to then go on social media and see, mm. you know, the absolute 0.001% of the demographic of the population that kind of have the best of both worlds. And they still want it, right? Because, you know, it, you can compare yourself to the entirety of the human race in 2022, right? And so I get that. That's hard. That's a conversation we have with people, with a lot of athletes, with a lot of CrossFit Games athletes, where we say, listen, what's your number one priority? I, and they say, I want to perform at the best level I can. Great. You may need to be two, three, five percent higher body fat percentage than you might want so that we can maximize your recovery from workout to workout to workout. Oh, so the, uh, having a bit more body fat actually helps them during games week. It's not necessarily the body. It could be part of the body fat. I think honestly it comes down to more of like the amount of calorie that they need to recover. And it might be due to things that they're able to control or not able to control, right? So if you're, uh, if you're able to get nine hours of sleep because essentially you're a pro athlete, you know, you may be able to, to fully recover on slightly less calories than somebody who's, you know, running a gym, right? <laughs> and a CrossFit coach and is also a CrossFit athlete and they only get six and a half or seven hours of sleep. For them to fully recover, they may need more fuel to kind of compensate for that lack of sleep. Or it may be something that's completely out of their ability to control, you know, a genetic stress response. Some people just produce less stress when and put in the identical situation. And they will likely carry a leaner physique than the person that does not, mm. right? And so those are things that you can and can't control, but it all comes down to like, um, you know, recognizing that and then trying to best to optimize with whatever cards you're dealt, whether that's, you know, social or socioeconomic or genetic. So aside from um, advising them about what to eat, are you also advising them on lifestyle changes as well? Big time. Yeah, we do a lot of work specifically on sleep. Um, you know, we really try to get people to above seven hours, ideally eight per night. Um, obviously, it's not possible for everyone, but we try. Uh, we do a lot of work helping athletes, with just sort of like general stress management. We're not there to replace psychologists by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, to think that's, that nutrition is not impacted by stress would be incredibly naive. Mm. You know, it's always easy to hold a diet when life's going, you know, nice and dandy. And you get a stress event thrown in there. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're ordering up fast food or a pizza or just kind of shoving whatever's down as close to you as a, a sort of like a, a compensatory mechanism. And so if we can help our, our clients, our athletes uh, put better stress management in place, oftentimes it will lead to better compliance with nutrition as well. I think trying to get more sleep is a big 2020, 21, 22 question, I think. So we went from being stuck yeah. in our houses to like, be, <laughs> being and, and, and like having nothing else but sleep to do really. Yeah, exactly. And totally deregulating our body clocks to, to now. And it's, um, it's been a tough couple of years for anybody who wants to sleep on a, on the regular, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, um, you know, life, life got crazy in all kinds of different ways. And now we're just adapting. And I do think there's some people that kind of, um, from my perspective, recognized for the first time due to COVID 
how important these things were. And it wasn't until they were forced to stay oh, home yeah. and forced to sleep that they kind of identified that that was the case. And then when work, you know, came back online, they had to go back to the office mm. or whatever, they were no longer willing to compromise things like their sleep or their ability to work out in a way that they were prior. You know, they were like, hey, that was really nice, actually. I need to figure out a way yeah. to um, to kind of make it happen otherwise, you know. See, apart from the games athletes that you're working with, you say that you're working oh, yeah. with a, a, a wide range of, of people, or is it mostly athletes? I would say, so our demographic is probably split into thirds. So, yeah, I mean, of course, the CrossFit Games athletes represent what, you know, we have 35 of them at the Games this year, but that still only puts us out. You've got 35. <laughs> well done. Across all the, across all the divisions, well, you know, you but we probably got it's amazing. 18 individuals. And then, like, the teens, the teens, the masters, you know, that's the other, I think, roughly 17 athletes. So 18 individuals, 17, you know, other other categories, which are just as important. Yeah, of course. Um, but, yeah, so that's only 35 out of close to 1,000. You know, sure. The other, you know, there's another third, maybe another 300, 350 or so that are performance focused. Mm. They may not be at the CrossFit Games, but they are at semifinals or they're doing local throwdowns or things like that. I would say one third of our demographic is more uh, fat loss focused, which is a little bit different from weight loss. Right. They want to you know, improve their body composition. And then probably about one third that's really, you know, in some form or another health focused, whether that's, you know, not necessarily the scale, but they want to feel better or um, they feel as though that their relationship with food is kind of messed up and they want some help, you know, learning that it's okay to eat a donut every once in a while. You know, so we have people that come and work with us for that sort of thing as well. So it's probably about a third, a third, a third. And what would you say um, to a, a, somebody who's thinking about getting nutritional coaching I mean, what if, what yeah. tips would you give them to begin with? Because what, what, yeah. what could they expect? Yeah, so every company, well, let's, let's, good questions. I think there's two unique so Yeah, I've asked too many questions in one go there. No, don't stress. <laughs> all good. So I think the first question's important, which is um, if they're thinking about nutrition coaching, what should they think about? And the first one is I would say you got to ask yourself how important is changing your nutrition or that goal that you anticipate nutrition being a part of to you, right? Maybe you could break that on a scale of one to 10. So let's say it's, um, you know, you want to increase your fitness. Okay. That's a great goal. And you say it's only a, you put, ask them to rate that. And you say, ah, oh, it's a six out of 10, right? A six out of 10 on an important scale may be difficult to motivate yourself to make drastic changes specifically as it relates to how you approach things like the weekend, um, <laughs> you know, and alcohol consumption and all of that sort of stuff, which we may try to modulate. You know, um, we may we may ask you to spend more money on your food and things of that nature. And if it's only a six out of 10 goal for you, that can be hard sometimes to say, to say it's worth it. Right. And so maybe it's not the best time at that point in life. Or you say, oh, no, it's a nine out of 10, a 10 out of 10. OK, great. If it's that important of a goal to you, what are we willing to change? I'm willing to work in my sleep. I'm going to meal prep. I'm going to count macros. Um, you know, I'm going to work on stress management. I'm going to do those four things. Great. That's awesome. Now you're now you're approaching nutrition coaching with an appropriate mindset. I think that's probably the, the most important thing is when you when you're attacking this, you got to do it from a place of it's important to you because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's simple. It's never easy. You know, so that's the that's the, the first question. The second question is what to expect. Every company is different. Right. And I don't want to just talk about just them, too, because I think there's so much more out there besides just us. Um, but every company is different and know yourself to figure out what's the best company for you. 
if you're the type of person that literally just needs the plan once and then you're going to go make it happen, right? Like you don't need somebody to check in on you. Your, your compliance is going to be 95% regardless of whether or not a coach messages you or not. Then, you know, um, there are certain companies that just, they build those plans for you. I mean, we have an option for that too. We call it our tier one and our tier two programs where we build you nutrition plans and you go off on your own to run them yourselves. Um, and there are other companies that do similar things. But about, I would say two thirds of people need, really need some sort of outside accountability system that they're responsible to because that's how their personality works. You know, it, they're more likely to do it for you than they are for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so know yourself and figure out what type of approach. You know, at M2, um, you know, we start everything off by asking a ton of questions, like a lot, like 35 to 40 questions, depending upon men, women, things of that nature. And um, if you ever get a company that doesn't ask you that volume of questions, you should probably run away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the sort of information that's really critical to determining what your nutrition plan should be. Right. Like, OK, you say you're eating 1200 calories in a day and not losing weight, but are you really? You know, I, mm-hmm. I need to address that in some form through my questionnaire to get at that answer. Uh, whether or not, you know, two days of the week, yeah, you think you're eating 1200 calories, but you're actually going to, you know, the pub, you have four drinks and then, you know, a couple of, couple of, you know, snacks on the way home and you're actually at 4,000 calories for the day. You drank your calories, Vicky McLeod. Yes. You ate your calories and the next morning you woke up and hung over and did it all again, you know? Yeah. Um, so so yeah. yeah, covered during that onboarding process. So that's the first thing. Um, and then make sure that the whoever you're going to work with is is going to you know kind of be a, the right personality fit for you, right? If you're um, someone who really likes metrics, make sure that your coach is going to use a lot of metrics. Like if, if you like tracking your body weight, great. If you know you have a if you have an absolute phobia of stepping on on a scale, and don't go hire a coach that wants you to step on there every day of the week, right? Um, the coach should be willing to adjust to you and not force you to adjust fully to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So that would be my expectations is just, you know, make sure that you get a good fit. I've, um, I've got some experience with the first thing that you were saying about like the, the written for you nutrition plan oh, that yeah. you go away and do, it was a disaster. <laughs> so I know that I'm the kind of girl yeah, that needs to coach. I mean, you've, got, you've got a lot of company. And, it, and then, um, and then you feel like a failure. Yeah. Because you haven't been able to stick to it. So, yeah, it's a, I fully, I have a, a coach and I fully, in my gym actually, and I fully um, s- support the coaching idea because yeah. you're absolutely right. You need to have somebody going, yes. how are you? Are you, are you good? I what's going on in your life? You know, like really checking in with you. So, you slow down yeah. and stop and evaluate what's actually happening in your life. Otherwise, you know, we're all so busy that we can just be on autopilot. You can go a couple of months without really checking in with yourself, you know? Mm. So. Absolutely. Um, so I've, I've noticed between yeah. semifinals and the games, which is next week, the composition of quite a lot of um, the yeah. girls' yeah. Um, bodies changing a lot. Um, really interested to know what we, yeah. what you would think they're changing in their diets. Like the, the semifinals to now, I've seen people leaning reason, out a, a lot, I think is probably what I'm seeing. Um, the vast majority of it is, you know, um, we're, you know, coaches are programming just t- more total volume, I would say, you know, so they're doing more in the gym, you know, somebody like, yeah, that's Gabby, true. They're doing a Jackie, lot more. Mm. They're as, as amazing as they are. And as they were at semifinals, 
they weren't truly peaked yet. You know, probably 90, 95. No, no, yeah. no. So, now, you know, they've coaching, they've got smart coaching, and now they're, they're at 100%, but they've been training probably more. They've also probably been training differently. You know, we know that at semifinals, there's, it's highly unlikely that you're ever going to have a test longer than what, maximally half an hour. You know, I probably count on on one hand the number of tests mm. that have exceeded half an hour for individuals at a semifinal or a regional back in the day, right? You know, maybe the triple threes that comes to mind as an example, yeah. but otherwise, you know, no. And, but at the games, yeah, I mean, we've had the row a marathon. <laughs> We've had huge, huge swim and endurance tests. And so the, the the programming around that, like they're always doing aerobic work, always year round. But it's, I think, in a lot of cases, even more as we build into the games. And the last component, like, you know, as a coach, I see all of those mm. changes and I'm like, we're going to eat more. Like, you know, but there's sort of a, a cap to an extent to how much an athlete can easily get down on a day to day basis, even using simple, refined carbohydrates. And then you layer on top of that, like, let's be abundantly clear. It has been hot as hell, right? And it, it crushes, yeah, it crushes <laughs> the appetite, right? When you're up that really uncomfortable, the last thing you want to do is go eat a big pile of food, right? You want to cool off, you want to relax. And so even though we've been intentionally trying to increase the macros for a lot of athletes, it has been difficult at times for many of them to eat as much food as they should. And so that is why you know, um, when they're not working out on a rest day or one of their lighter recovery days or for this week as they build into the games, we're still eating a ton of food, even though they're not going to the gym for five or six hours a day anymore. We want to replenish those muscle glycogen supplies. We want to get their brain to know that fuel is plentiful and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's always the case. I think, um, even though I would love for them to be relatively similar body compositions as the programming changes, as the duration of it changes, as, you know, the, the summer months come and it makes it harder to eat, all of those things are responsible for the physique changes that you're probably seeing. Hmm. Oh. Uh, man, and what, do you, what would you describe question. as a ton of food? Ooh. Give me a day. A, I mean, so give from me a, a day's breakdown, you know, if you can. Or just the like Jackie, we have a, eating an athlete. Um, you know, something like 100. I think it's 155-ish, 160 grams of protein. Uh, she's close to 100 grams of fat, uh, and she's at about 550 grams of carbohydrates per day. So we're well, well into 3,000 plus calories per day. Um, wow. You know, that's that's it. So 3,500 calories kind of spread throughout the day, but the vast majority of it, over 50% of it, coming from carbohydrates. Um, you know, Gabby or uh, Sola, you know, a little bit different numbers, but still, you know, very, very high. Uh, you know, the highest macros that I program uh, for any athlete that's going to the CrossFit Games is a, uh, a young teenage athlete named Emma Lawson. Uh, she's 17 years old, qualified out of Canada, won the Atlas Games, oh, which yeah. is incredible. Uh, yeah, she's close to 4,000 calories a day. Um, yeah, she's she amazing. trains comparative to a lot of her, her, um, her peers Ooh. now. She trains on a slightly lower volume because she's got an amazing coach who's really working hard not to burn her out. And she's, you know, she's only 17. So um, he's closer to like four hours a day of training for the vast majority of the year. And she still eats more than like pretty much everyone. Yeah, her her and Mal and Jackie are number one, two, and three. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm jealous though. I mean, like just eat 4,000 calories a day and Mike's told you to do that. Yeah. That's kind of... Kind and of if cool. you look at Emma, she's like a... 
she's all muscle and sinew and everything else. So you, yeah, <laughs> impressive. It's amazing to watch somebody's physique like that, and then to see her crushing the workouts totally. is just oh, it's beautiful to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's inspiring as well as yes. a, as a yeah, you know, just as a fan. It's great to I watch. I agree. So, what will these? What have you? What will you be telling all these people to be eating next yeah. week in between all of the workouts? Yeah, so that's a great. What's question. the plan? Things change a lot when we're actually competing. Um, so, you know, during the rest of the year, we have to place an emphasis to some extent on food quality as well. So it's not a question of just 500 grams of carbohydrates, but we need some of that, not all of it by any stretch, but we need some of it to be vegetables and potatoes and things like that. When we're mm-hmm. at the games uh, and we're competing, really our, <laughs> our only priority is to get as many calories down our throat as possible and the vast majority of them in simple carbohydrates. And here's why. One, of course, they're doing a ton of work, but they do tons of work all year round, right? Like, no doubt about that. But the nerves are heightened, right? They're nervous, they're anxious. And as a result of that, they actually end up burning way more food while just sitting around doing nothing. I like to tell the story that uh, they once monitored um, Russian Grand Chess Masters in a multi-day tournament, and they were burning almost as many calories as like Roger Federer was during like a tennis match. Even though they just sit there and there's like, they don't move. It's like all internal changes to their metabolism. And so these athletes are, of course, very anxious and very stressed, but they're also doing <laughs> tremendous feats of strength and athleticism and fitness all day long as well. Um, so that they, they need to eat a lot of food, like a substantial amount. And we really prioritize the simple, simple foods as well, because the, the brain has the ability to communicate quite effectively with the gastrointestinal tract. And when it is stressed to enough of a point it actually shuts down digestion rather dramatically and it's a it's an evolutionary survival thing from like thousands and thousands Mm. of years ago where if you're so stressed the body only cares about what it needs to do to survive on a very short time scale and as crazy as it sounds food is not one of those things you know we have 30 days worth of energy supplies even in a very very lean individual 30 days so food isn't a priority so it just kills hunger cues. <laughs> it slows digestion. And it makes it really, really hard to eat. So for that purpose, it's like we're doing, we're doing like cereal, gummy bears, Sour Patch Kids, you know, um, like the children's uh, squeeze pouches, like, you know, that are 100 calories mm-hmm. per or something like that. We're crushing those. We're doing liquid carbohydrates, Gatorade, you know, coconut water, all of those types of things just to get as many calories down as we possibly can. And the way we like to generally think of it is we start the day and we end the day with real meals. So simple breakfasts, oatmeal, you know, maybe some eggs, uh, try to get 800,000 to 1,000 calories down. Through the middle of the day, it's all of those really, really simple foods. Because generally, there's never more than like a two-hour break between events. Maybe here or there, there's one. Um, but anyways, we keep things really simple. And then at the end of the day, I tell the athletes, just go crazy, you know, cheeseburgers, uh, sweet potato French fries, tons of ketchup, which is loaded with sodium. They've, they've spent all day sweating out. Um, whatever they want and need that's that's appetizing to get food and calories back into their system before they go to bed. So it's really the way it works, to be, to be bluntly honest with you. Real food at the beginning, at the end of the day, and then just tons of easy snacks throughout the middle. So if when I see you at the game next week, Mike, I can just pat you down and you'll have yes. pockets full of gummy bears. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, 
<laughs> I will not be in the back coaching anyone this year. So they've all got their teams, but they've all got their assignments. So if you pat any of the athletes down, or specifically their gym bags, their coaches, they should have them. But you'll you'll see me more likely uh, with other things in my hands instead. <laughs> you know, I have I have gone on some emergency runs to different booths and things of that nature to get the the, the carbohydrate bags and stuff like that. So. You never know. You might see me sprinting around with trying to get something to an athlete somewhere. It's happened in the past. <laughs> I'll know what you're doing then. Thanks so much for, for talking to Please. me today, Mike. I would really like to get you back yes. on another day and we can talk about metabolism because I find that really interesting. I mean, you talked about it a couple of times yes. um, through our chat um, and there's so much to unpack there about yeah. metabolism and stress and appetite. And that I'd would love to lovely. have a I long would, conversation about that another definitely day. Definitely do that with you for sure. Thank you, Mike. We are definitely going to need another chat soon. In the meantime, get the gummy bears ready for this weekend and best of luck to your people. Coming up this week on the Europe is Coming podcast, I'm going to be releasing daily editions and blogs about the games. So please follow along for my take on the behind the scenes. Until next time, thanks for listening and bye bye. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Europe is Coming is a programme production and hosted by Vicky McLeod.